you Yeah, yo There whenever it matters and even more when you feel like it doesn't Protect you so you never feel like you wasn't Know I'm right alongside you, here by that I'm behind you But always got you, end the discussion, nothing means more First one to offer his shoulders for what you preach for Thought I saw the eyes of the world until I seen yours And know that I ain't see a better view yet I'm with whatever, so don't ever you fret Know that you covered, not a hurdle or a heartbreak To change what a part take Cause none of them won't ever get comfortable in your walkway My job is to aware you, fully loaded Prepare you for all of the above that I'm never letting get near you. But still, I know, give you every advantage I found. Couldn't find a better fit for them along with my crown. And since the baton was passed, hopping down, cause feeling's not an option and dad is not a noun, not at all. Listeners, welcome back to the Chronicles of a Hip-Hop Legend radio show, TCOHHL Radio. You know, the privilege of doing the Chronicles of a Hip-Hop Legend radio show is that over the over the years of, uh, of me doing radio, uh, me starting out with Hip Hop Today, Red Cup Radio, and Tenacity, is that back then... You know, I was starting to feel my groove with doing radio stuff and then feeling my groove and having the wonderful opportunity to speak with different folks, man, and, and being able to hear their stories and become acquainted with their life and, 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 and the, the journey that they, they've taken. And now seeing uh, them uh, go on and do wonderful things is absolutely a privilege. You know what I mean? So um, it, it's only right that, you know, from Hip Hop Today Red Cup Radio, to now officially uh, the Chronicles of a Hip Hop Legend radio show completely doing our own thing, not, you know, not, um, you know, sort of under tenacity uh, radio anymore. Um, we get a chance to touch base with people that we spoke with back then. So the interesting, you know, the good thing for me, man, is is uh, I, I always enjoy hearing stories of people that have been, you know, doing things in the past and, and they take their life and they, you know, do this flip of it for the purpose of being able to benefit others. And then in doing so, they allow their life to serve as a cautionary tale for others so that they can guide people to stay clear of the things that they've done uh, or the things that they've experienced and the loss that they've experienced. So, um, it does me well, man, and it, it does me good to be able to introduce the, the guests that we have on. You know, y'all heard us speaking about them leading up uh, to this segment of the show. Um, but yeah, man, it's this guy, man. We, we Like I said, that the first time I had an opportunity to speak with him was back on Hip Hop Today Red Cup Radio. And, and then he was an author, you know, he released a, a book at the time that was... Uh, you know, just critically acclaimed and and people it was a buzz because he had taken his life and put it into a context that would, you know, benefit others, man, and, and get the young kids, particularly the youth, you know, coming up in the in the in the uh, in the inner cities to, to get them to be able to realize that there are options outside and then outside of, you know, what we see in the inner city, but also um, just being able to get them to stay clear of the lifestyle because, you know, perhaps on the outside looking in or coming up in that, the, the, the lifestyle is glorified, right? But oftentimes you don't get a chance to see the pit, pitfalls of it until you experience it. So, you know what? Without further ado, listeners, let me just welcome my homie to the show. It's been a pleasure being able to get him back on the show. And that is the good homie, Deshaun Joey Morris. What's up, man? Hey, what's peace, peace, man? Blessings. Thanks for having me. It's always an honor, privilege, and pleasure to, you know, get an opportunity to share my story nice. on a different platform. So thank you. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And and man, we, we like I said, man, it's real talk, man. I, I I know that we've had an opportunity to speak before, but I haven't had an opportunity to speak with you 
on the Chronicles of a Hip Hop Legend platform, and I think the discussion is necessary, man, based on our listen- listenership or the uh, the assumed listenership that is, because you know, no matter what walk of life you're coming from, no matter what your experiences are, you can always assume that there's someone out there that perhaps is going through the exact same circumstances you went through, right? And I say this to guests all the time. It doesn't matter if they're, you know, um, uh, financial advisors, if they're you know, uh, MCs, if they're DJs, if they're radio show hosts, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter if they're, they're chess grandmasters, um, classical musicians. People have experiences in their life that, um, you know, have shaped them to be the person that they are, the person that they've come to be. So if we're able to share those experiences to get people to, to you know, to, to, to make things just a, a bit slight, slightly easier for them, then why shouldn't we do it? I think it's it's a part of that uh that human spirit. You know what I mean? But um, yo man, you know what I want to do, and I know we've covered this before, but I, what I want to do is I, I want to get to all of the wonderful things you're doing. You 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 um your author, obviously, man, a a, a a a talented author. You know that have put put out some some critically acclaimed work, and I want to get to that. But um, and then also most recently now, man, you're starting to get into into filmmaking and there's a web series a mini series that i've had a chance to watch man that's that has been you know absolutely wonderful and and great and and it offers some context man to you know to to not just your life but i think also too there's some you know some uh, conflict inner conflict that is reflected in you the character in that and i think that's important to talk about because so many people go through that maybe not to the same degree but people go through that so i want to get into that but before that i really want to start with the journey man and where how did things begin for get begin for you so i'll ask the question and then we'll go from there you could take us wherever you want to take us however you want to take us And, and i don't have to tell you this but i'll tell you this again Yo, feel free to express yourself however you want to, man. This is completely uncensored. So, where did it start for you? In Newark. Did it start in Newark? Yeah, that's that's the foundation. Uh, North New Jersey. Okay. Uh, Essex County. Um, for myself, uh, again, I, I discussed this in my first book. Um, it actually started for me from moving out of Jersey, moving across the country to Phoenix, Arizona. Mm. That's where it started for me. Okay. Um, you know, if you're from Jersey back in the, you know, the eighties, uh, you know, we didn't have traditional gangs back then. You That's know, right. like I guess many cities we had, you know, neighbor neighborhood blocks and, you know, areas of that nature, crews and posses to that nature. But when I moved out to part south uh, of Phoenix, Arizona, I moved into gang culture. Uh, when I moved there in nineteen ninety, the wow. gangs had already been there since seventy nine. In Arizona. So Phoenix, Arizona, yeah. Wow. So I moved into a gang culture already. And for me, it was a culture shock. It was a culture shock because in, in a matter of a day of getting there and then, you know, day turned into a week, week turned into a month. So much was, I was restricted from so much. I, it was so much, I, so many things I couldn't say, places I couldn't go, things I couldn't even wear. So every day I felt like I was behind. You know, I was always, you know, questioning everything, questioning, you know, in my head, you know, or, could I say this or could I wear that or right. could I go there? You know, it was, everything was very structured and that was the foundation. Uh, I mean, I got involved with, you know, with the guys out there, man, more so for survival uh, purpose because mm. it was very, it was a violent place to live. And, you know, I was there for two years and I eventually made my way back East farms, you know, moved us back to Jersey. Wow. And unfortunately at that time, you know, all that I had learned and, and embraced in those two years, I brought back with me. So you know what, man. You, so, you, 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 I'm sorry to interrupt, but you, you bring up an interesting point, man, and and it's it, it definitely something that begs a question that you know from me, and I'm sure from the listeners, uh, definitely from me, and that is, for one, man, I I wasn't I, I was well aware, obviously, uh, via media portrayal at that time, because in terms of our reach to 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 sort of cultures that existed within states, particularly across the country, we didn't really have accessibility to that other than what the media was portraying us and, and, and what movies would portray us. So to portray to us. So my first um, access to gang culture right out in the West coast was probably in the movie colors. Right. And when I saw that, 
I was like, yo, this is some real shit here, man. Like, <laughs> I, I know what it's like to grow up in Brooklyn, right? During that time and, and, and growing up in Brooklyn, um, it's the same as in Jersey. It's the same, you know, in Newark. It's the same as, it's just the tri-state area, right? It's the exact same experience. You know, there might be some nuance based things that are different, but I think for the most part, it's the same. So when I had exposure to that, I was like, yo, this shit is wicked out here. I mean, I can't wear this color. This is crazy. I like red and I can't wear red into that neighborhood because something might happen. So that's interesting to me that you, you say Phoenix because I never knew about Phoenix. I, I, I do know that later on into my adulthood, I, I had a chance to, to become acquainted with the spread of gang cultures, you know, uh, namely blood and, and, and crip gang culture and how it started to spread outside of LA and move to some neighboring States initially. And then obviously across country and, you know, and then eventually, you know, outside of the country, but that's interesting. Phoenix, man, I didn't know that it, it, it was popping off like that. So what was that? I mean, it, it sounds like you're, you're telling me the experience was similar to what it, what they portrayed to us, as it would be in LA. Was it as intense or maybe a little bit less intense or the same? Well, I mean, first, I, I, what I got to say is that in, in regards to it being interesting, I mean, for one, uh, Phoenix is the neighbor, Arizona is the neighboring state to LA. That's so right. traffic going back and forth as if traffic was from North to New York. Yeah. The thing is that, you know, when you're dealing with LA, you know, that's, that's a media hub right there. So, you, you know, you're not going to get, much of the news that's taking place in Phoenix. And for, I give a great example is that it wasn't until many years ago that I wasn't even aware of the type of violence or gang activity that was taking place in Little Rock, Arkansas. Right, that's right. Until I seen a documentary on HBO banging in Little Rock. And that was my first time knowing that, because, you, you know, living in Jersey, you don't hear about the news that's taking place in Arkansas and right. Little Rock. It wasn't until I had exposure to that documentary but I'm like, they tearing shit up in, in, in Little Rock. That's right. So, you know, you know, Phoenix is, is, is I, I just use that as uh, basically to show a similarity uh, in the situation I'm talking about now that uh, Phoenix was media, uh, L.A. influenced. I mean, you know, m many of those guys, when he would leave out of L.A., they would come into Arizona yeah. and yeah. vice versa. And not to mention, you know, the Mexican gangs. I mean, <laughs> Phoenix is a Mexican freaking haven. Yeah. So, uh, the, the gangs were, you know, again, L.A. just, you know, really is a media hub over there. So you probably were not going to hear much of that. And you also have to be mindful back in the 90s. You know, we didn't have access to social media like we do now. That's so right. you right. only knew pretty much about what was taking place. Newsworthy, if it wasn't L.A. or Chicago, it was New York. That's right. You didn't even get to hear about the news that was taking place in all of these little offset cities around the country. It wasn't until the 2000s and up where, you know, social media took place. So now you can, you can live in a city like North and know everything that's going on around the country because you're one click away. So, you know, we just have to be mindful of the social media uh, merge that, that kind of opened people's eyes to things that were taking place around the country. Uh, in regards to the question um, with L.A. Um, and Phoenix, uh, absolutely, man. It was, it was definitely, I mean, I, can I say it was at the same level? I mean, I, I can't, I, I wasn't in two places at one time, but just know that, all that's taking place that in LA, you know, it was definitely taking place in Phoenix. Yeah, no, definitely true, taking place. True Phoenix. indeed, true indeed. So, you were in Phoenix. How, how many? How long uh, was your was your move to Phoenix? How long? I was there for two years. I was there from 1990 to 1992. Wow. So that that's enough to to, to definitely start developing some roots man and, and developing some sensibilities <laughs> yeah. about yourself you, you, you learn you learn right away yeah, yeah. moving to the neighborhood you learn right away sink or swim <laughs> yeah. you know you know the amazing you know you know what was so what was so mind-blowing to me it was the level of violence that the young guys were engaging in at the age of nine and ten like i said when i was in jersey you know seven uh seven eight and then when I turned now, you know, we, I mean, we, we fought a lot. I didn't, no question about it. We fought a lot as kids though. We fought, you know, this block fighting that block. And, but when I moved to Arizona at that same age, I moved in third grade. I mean, at that grade, the little guys I did, they were carrying pistols at the time. And this is back in 1990. They were carrying blades. And I mean, it was, it was very, very structured, very, very militant base, you know, to be so young. And then that was the part that I was a step behind because at that time I had never 
held a gun before. That's I had right. never seen anybody shot at, the, at that moment. So, you know, I, and I came right into it. I mean, these things are taking place right on the block that I was living in, you know. And it was it was definitely a culture shock, man. I mean, every day I walked out of my house, it was always like, you know, okay, I got to remember not to say that. Don't go, you know, even in the ways we would walk to school, you know, you, you could have a clear-cut path from your home, your neighborhood to a school, and then there were, there, there were detours that would have to be made just to get to the school, just to not cross over certain boundaries. And, you know, it, it was just a lot, man. It was just, it was, it was a lot. Yeah, a lot to take in, particularly for a young kid, man. Yeah, absolutely. So so, so eventually, uh, you know, two years would, would pass, and, you know, you start uh, developing this, this sense about yourself, uh, you know, because of the move, and then, then you move in, you, you, you essentially go back home. So when right. you, when you get back home, how is that that you learned and and this sort of new awareness and sensibility about yourself that you've developed out in Phoenix? How was that bringing it back home and and then sort of translating it back to the environment that you call home and um you know being able to get it get it set there? Well, honestly, um when I came back, I came back a different person. When I say a different person, I came back, you know, a more violent kid. Yeah. Um, but those two years of Phoenix, I fought a lot. I mean, when I went to school, my the second day of school I was there, I got jumped by, you know, a, hand, a whole bunch of Mexicans. Wow. They took my shoes and everything. Damn. This is my second day of school. Uh, and, and I mean, so I experienced violence immediately and it, it lasted the entire two years I was there. So I came back, you know, and you would think, you know, you're 11 years old, how violent can you be? Um, they, trust me, I've, you know, I, they, 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 they hand picked me. And when I say hand picked me, meaning like there was like actual training put into me. I mean, these guys would take me and, you know what I mean? Show me how to break down a gun. They would show me, you know what I'm saying? I mean, riding through neighborhoods and, you know, pointing out to me what's what and who is who and where not to be. And I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was really overwhelming for me at a young age. So when I come back to Jersey, I just came back a more violent person, man. I, I had, I guess you would say, a rush for violence, you know, whereas before I left, you know what I'm saying, it was more so just fighting with hands. I came back, I was trying to get my hands on a gun, and, you know, I just came back, you know, like you said, wearing red a lot. You know, I wasn't too mentally advanced in the gang life, but I just, what I did know was that this is what we wear. This yeah. is how we talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know it, it didn't take much for me to want to start fighting now. You know, I knew certain things you couldn't say to me at that point at 11 years old that was kind of now when I look back on it, it was kind of funny I actually talk about this in my first book that when I came back a lot of my little partners from my block that I left now when I came back you know you know it was more so of a not a fear thing for me but they knew that you know I mean, they were dealing with a different guy versus the one who had just left you know um they knew that I find myself correcting them quite a bit you know when don't don't call me that don't 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 say that around me I would even, you know, hassle them about even the clothes that they was wearing. So that's how it started. It was it started from that little bit right there where I came back with. And then it just developed and just developed as my thirteen turned fourteen and fifteen. I'm becoming a young man now. So, you know, I started getting a little more inclined and in, you know, what it was that I actually got involved with. Yeah, you you know what's interesting too, man, you, you bring up something and and uh you know, and I, I think it's important to be stated and that is, you know, so many times we wonder, you know, how children can can sort of develop this this uh, hardened disposition, you know, even though they come from a good, solid home foundation. And the truth is, is that a child can't be home all the time, right? Parents got to go to work. A child got to go to school. So when a child goes to school, they are surrounded by their peers, their friends, and what's going on in school and what's going on in that environment. So it's it, it makes perfect sense how a child can be, uh, influenced by that and then sort of develop this this sort of disposition and this you know this uh this um you know the these the sensibilities about um who they are and how they are to react towards people man so it's interesting because yeah you you mentioned that you left and they were probably like you know before you left your friends was like damn you know the homie is moving. Deshaun is moving. We can't, uh, you, you know, peace. You know, we, we can't, you know, hopefully we get a chance to see you again. And then when you come back, they're like, yo, what's up, man? 
<laughs> you're like, nope. yo, don't, don't, don't approach me that way, man. Don't, <laughs> don't approach me that way. So, and it's like, what happened? And it's, you know, it's, 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 it's just proof that even in, even in as short of a time as two years, you know, someone can gain some new found, be it good or bad, some new found, you know, things with them that existed inside that they never knew about, but an environment will certainly pull, pull them out. So, well, I, want, I just want to add this. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, man. The, the, even in, in, in speaking about that, the reason we left Arizona, because like I said, when we left, when we was in Phoenix. I mean, like for instance, the shootouts, the drive-bys, that was that took place at random. Mm-hmm. That was something that we we had gotten used to. But on uh, my second year there, when I was eleven, um, my little homeboy, my little homeboy Trey, this is he was the guy that actually embraced me initially into the neighborhood. Because when I first moved there, you know, the guys, the little, especially the young guys. They didn't really embrace me. You know, they, they knew I was new. They knew I was from, you know, another place. So it wasn't like a, a, a welcoming. It was Trey who actually was the one who, I mean, approached me and spoke to me. And, you know, I, once he embraced me, then the rest of the young uh, guys embraced me. Right, but right. Trey ended up being killed on, on a block we live on. You yeah. know what I'm saying? We, and I, we was all out there. And it wow. was a typical drive-by with the older guys. And they, got, they came out there and they got to shooting and, Trey got hit, you know what I'm saying? So I watched Trey pass away right in front of me. And, and it was so it was at that moment is when my, my mom, you know what I'm saying, she was like, you know, I mean this happened literally, you know, two doors down in the street, you know. I mean, you know, we always hear the gunshots. We always knew when the neighborhood was going out to fight because you know they were squad up on that block and yeah. they was they would peel out. So you knew where they were going, but you know what when when that happened, I think that was my mom's was like, Man, you know, we, we left Jersey, you know, to try to come do something better. And it, just, it wasn't working, and, and that was really what, you know, we packed up for me, and we came back. So, um, you know, for anybody to think two years, two years is a long time. I mean, that's a long time. That's that's not two weeks. You know, no, two years absolutely. is, is that's a long time to be involved in an environment that's constant that's and right. consistent. That's so, right. you know, they, they say it takes 21 days to learn a habit. You know, we're talking two years now. Absolutely. And and, and how old was Trey? Trey was the same age as me. He was 11 years old. Damn. We were both, set, both of us, fourth grade classmates. Eleven years old, damn, crazy. So, so you get back to New Jersey, man, and and with, with this with this new version of yourself, as a result of right. the learned behavior that that you you know that you picked up out in uh, Phoenix, are you starting to influence the folks around you, your peers? Um. Well, I, in, in that regard, I came back when I was thirteen. I'll say honestly, the influence really didn't start taking place until uh, high school, my freshman year, okay. when I was I was fifteen. Those first couple of years, I mean, I was still very young. I wasn't going around recruiting anybody. I just wore red a lot. You know, I, I threw up our neighborhood signs. And, you know, I, I would talk a certain way. Right. But it wasn't until my freshman year, um, honestly. And I talk about this in my book, where I met a guy uh, in my high school um, that you know he came from out of town, and you know he was red ragging, and when I saw it. I immediately gravitated to it. You know, I, I approached him immediately because you know nobody was wearing rags like that. Right. And the way he was wearing it, you know, he he wore them in a, in a way where you, I knew like there's something behind that. Versus you know all the, the prior two years, you know, people were wearing different rags to match clothes. Right. You know, you know it was fashion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. when I saw this, this guy, the way he was banging that rag, I felt something was behind it. So I approached the brother. You know, and uh, when I found out that he was a blood, you know, that's what really got me back in tune with. The red rags, because prior to that, I mean, no one was out here doing this. So it was more so like, it was almost like my own little thing. You know, I just wore red a lot. Yeah, yeah. I say blood a lot. I thought, you know, a couple gang signs here and there, you know, music was playing and stuff. But no one really knew what it was I was doing. So it wasn't until I met the brother that, um, you know, we built and I got to learn where he was from and where he came from with it. And I told him about my history and my experience. And it was us two at that point that began the influence of, 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 of you know, bringing others in and, 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 you know, building with each other. So that, that's really how the stories all began. Yeah. 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 No doubt. No doubt. And, and where was that brother from? If you don't mind me asking, cause you said he, well, he was, he, he was, um, from Jersey as well. But, um, during that time, this was, uh, 95, 96. He had come out here to, uh, Atlanta actually. Oh, okay. And, uh, he met a guy, uh, you know, his, his, he had a pretty large family out here in Atlanta. But he met a guy that was from uh, San Diego, California. Um, you know, a blood, a big, you know, big OG from uh, San Diego, California. He was a blood, and 
they was there with him for the whole summer, you know, so the stories he was just telling us about what this guy brought around them, you know what I'm saying? It was very similar to my experience when I moved to Arizona because a lot of the things he was saying I could identify with. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, from there, you know, we, we was, you know, two blood brothers and, you know, you know, that turned into four of us and then that four turned into 20 of us. And, you know, from there, it kept on escalating. And, you know, that was the story in Jersey. Yeah. And then obviously at some during that, once you guys, you know, click up, you, you grow and, and then that would become, you know, the, 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 the culture that would eventually be formed in uh in newark that we would come to know as right right so and those 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 accounts i I, we don't have to go into the specific accounts this is at this time that i want to encourage people um i know the the book has been out for some time now but but obviously like you know like i said early on it's critically acclaimed um i encourage people to to go out and um, you know, check out that book, man. And that is War of the War of the Bloods in My Veins. That's correct. Right. Yeah. So, so, so everybody check that out because in that book you give vivid details and and, and very in depth accounts about this. You know, just what I right. touched on, and and then those details as well. So, at some point, man, there's a a light goes off, right, in you, and the light. I don't know. Mate, perhaps you've had you, you, you had been confronted several times with this sort of epiphany, if you will, that that, yo know, shit got to change. You know what I mean? Like, I can't I can't keep doing this. What was the first time? And I know that this is captured in a book, but but it's important because what I'm trying to do is is highlight the very specific aspects of the journey for the listener. So at what point what was the first experience that you had, if you recall, that you realized, yo, Nah, that you know what this shit might not be the right thing for me to do. I need to something that something needs to change. Well, I mean, for the purposes of the interview, um, I'll have to say, man, that was a lot, that was very far down the road. You know, okay. that didn't happen up front. You know, okay. I was a full fledged frontline gangbanger. Okay, so that didn't happen. I didn't wake up one day and I never thought like this life wasn't for me because. Like I said, I, I don't I don't come from nothing, bro. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't come from nothing. And what I helped build in Jersey for myself at that time, I, I needed that to get me through. Yeah. You know, so that was something that was, you know, that I needed. Yeah, absolutely. But, if, if, you know, for, for the purpose of interview, you know I mean, this was many years down the line. This was, you know, when I was in my late 20s. Yeah. Um, But I was I was fortunate enough to end up going to Dell State. Now, I was a football all-star. That's right, right. And I was, I was given a, a full athletic scholarship there. And... Uh, even in that transition, you know, I always have to be, you know, caution people that, you know, I wasn't, you know, a college kid. You know, I was a, I was a nigga from the street who had a talent. And when I went to that school, you know, I mean, they, they laid everything out for me. You know, I, and I don't say this to be proud about it, but for instance, you know, when I graduated high school, I didn't even take my own damn SAT. Mm-hmm. You know, when I went to school, I hardly went to class. You know, everything was laid out for me because I was never really academically inclined. I was never really academically, you know, smart. Um, I just was a hell of a football player. So things, you know, kind of made easy for me. So it wasn't until then, my third year, I was there for three years. You know, I was a great kick return, apart return. I led the country in kick return touchdowns in 2002. I at, played in the Black College of Austin. I'm sorry, this is at Delaware State. This is at Dell State. Okay. Um, I was a Black College All-American. I mean, you know, I, I was really a bad individual on a football field. And um, I ended up, blowing my opportunity at the NFL. I was a projected third-round draft pick, man. Wow. I ended up uh, catching a gun charge my in 2002, my All-American year. I caught a gun charge in my room. Um, I got kicked off campus, you know, went through a bunch of appeals and got uh, reinstated. Um, the following year, I ended up stabbing a, cat, a kid on campus. I went to jail, bailed out, and a month later, caught another t- attempted murder for a shooting of one of my teammates. So, I, went to, I went to jail from there. So let me, let me ask you this, man. This is this is someone. This is someone, you know, from my perspective, right? And I'm thinking about you and I are from the same type of neighborhood, right? Where, where, where you you grew up in Newark, right? I grew up in East New York, Brooklyn. But I'll be the first person to say, man, and I've said it on this show before, that although I'm 
from the hood, I'll be the first person to admit that the, that the street life was just not my thing. It just, it just wasn't, it scared the shit out of me. Real talk. Right. Right. So in my mind, I think about someone and this is not intended to be a critique. I, I, I'm really just trying to understand the, the, the mind thought behind the decision. Right. And that is you, you're given an opportunity, right, man. You, you have this right. gift um, of, of being a talented, you know, football player. Right. And what, what was the position running back you played? I was a kick returner, punt returner, special teams. Okay, all right. So you're given this, 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 this wonderful opportunity, man. Despite the involvement in the streets, right? And then you get to, you know, your the third year of school. Everything is laid out as you as you said. So I mean, at the, at this point, you really think about it. You don't really have much left to do. I mean, you don't have much left to get to complete school. And then there's also this very real prospect of you going to the NFL. Yo, what happened, mm-hmm. man? What, what, why, why the, why the gun in the dorm room? Was there some friction or some shit that you was feeling with, with, with some other people? Nah, I'm, I'm actually. It's funny. I'm actually glad you asked that question because it's a question I get a lot. And you know, like you said, it's not a critique. I don't take it as a critique. Yeah. Uh, you just don't know. Yeah. And so I, I'm gonna inform you that. Um, I, and, and this is not a critique back, but I think a lot of times society look and people, people in general, just look at hood, college, so. Why did you have the need? Well, it's no different than bringing a, a, a stray animal into your house and expecting them to be domesticated. Yeah, yeah. They still tear shit up. Yeah, yeah. So there was no transition from the ghetto, the hood, poverty, into this school life for me um, with, you know, decent folk, people here that for better their education. I got in trouble in that school from the day I got there. Mm. So I, I told you about the charge. I told you about the stabbing, attempted murder. But in between all of that, you know, during football season, every Saturday, I had about 10, 12, 13 niggas from North driving two and a half hours down the highway to come see me play. We would tear shit up in the parties. So I, my point that I'm making was that there was no transition from the life gotcha. I was, that I'm from into this new life. Gotcha. There was no transition. There was no, I didn't have that grooming. I didn't have that individual. That, you know, the, the, It's almost like when you look at a lot of these NFL stars and these athletes who making all these millions and they can't keep their ass out of trouble. Because when you're dealing with niggas from the street, regardless of what environment you put them in, they're going to be niggas. Yeah, yeah. They're going to be what are and what they have been. Yeah. And that's was the story for me that, that when you, when you speak about, you know, why I had the gun in, in close the door, close the door. Why I had the, uh, the gun in my room, because I'm a nigga from North and we carry guns. Mm, mm. That's what we do. Yeah, so yeah. regardless of where you took me, my mentality didn't shift to, you know, suburban life or college life. I still was a North nigga in school. That didn't change. Yeah. And that's why I stayed in trouble so much. And, I, and, and that's one of the things that I've even said in my new book that, you know, I mean, I, I try not to live with regrets, but I think there are certain things that you wish that you could do over. And I always said that I just wish at that point when I left North to go to school that I wish that I had that one individual, that one coach, that one teacher, that somebody who I respected that, would have saw in me, you know, my potential, but saw what I come from and, and, and kind of would have, you know, kind of cuffed me a little bit, kind of, you know, you know, kind of helped guide me through this transition because it was a major transition. Bro. I mean, I went from hanging out every night, gang banging, drinking, getting drunk um, to now having to wake up to go to class and, you know, be around what I call squares. You know, that shit was not, that was difficult for me. That's where every opportunity I got, my ass was shooting down, a, down the road two and a half hours back to North. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. You no, know, so it was, it was traffic back and forth. So I didn't really fully commit to the to the college experience because I was still fully, you know, you know, invested in, in where I come from. So yeah. that's where you know the mistakes were coming, bro. It was really no nobody really was able to coach me up. You know, what I'm saying into this transition. And I always say you cannot bring a stray animal from the streets into your home and expect them not to tear your shit up. It's going to take time. It's going to take patience. It's going to take a transitional period. From the, what they're used to to what you're trying to, you know, what I'm saying, develop them into being, and that was, just, you know, the case with me. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt, and and I think that's you. You highlight something that's important, and that is when you go from one environment to another, the transition is absolutely necessary. And then I, I think, or, or at least understanding the transition process, and then having something or someone to be able to foster that transition. I think the other thing, the other thing too, man, that you said that 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 I want to just. Um, talk about what which is important too is you know oftentimes too when we go away to college right we have this um this separation you know from from home the environment that we're coming from you know to this new environment so if you're thinking about <laughs> if you're thinking about how close 
fucking Newark is to Delaware. What is that like a right. two, two two hour two and a half hour drive? Two and a half hour drive, right? Yep. So Oops. it's like if you got you got people coming down that are from that old environment, right? And then you're mm-hmm. going up. I mean, there's never really a chance to get settled into a new environment exactly. because you always got the My old point exactly. Coming. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Exactly. Makes perfect sense. So, what happened with the stabbing, man? What was was it? Was it a, a someone getting at you, or was it a, a, a necessary? You know what? No. Before we get to that, I'd, I'd like to ask you this: How were because you you obviously seem uh, uh, not seem? I know that you are a person that. Uh, stands on conviction right and as a and because you stand on conviction there is very little that can be done or said to you about the things that you hold near and dear to your heart whatever that is so when you get to delaware and you get to school what's the reception of you of you banging and representing the culture that that you know the the blood culture well I'm going to answer that in two parts. Initially, you know, a lot of the people from Delaware, they weren't familiar with, you know, gang life themselves. Right. So I think that's where initially some of my trouble came in because you know, I slapped up a lot of people on that campus just out of, you know, for verbal disrespect. Yeah. Whereas, you know, they, they seeing everybody, you know, they looking at everybody, they looking at everybody as if like who they are, you know, not taking things serious. And I'm like, you know, you guys don't really know who I am. You know what I'm saying? So when I, you know, when I tell you don't address me as, you know, and we'll just get into a little bit of it. When I tell you don't address me as cuz, I'm not fucking playing. That's right. You know what I'm saying? That's, that may be how y'all address each other, but you won't address me that. That's right. That's and then another shit happened again. So, you know, I, I ended up smacking somebody up and I did that quite a bit. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. the perception was that after, you know, me just being, you know, because I was like an aggressive individual, you know, after, you know, a couple of months, of, you know, in the beginning when I first got there, the, the word kind of spread that, you know, like, you know, this guy is not really nobody to be fucking around with. Like, apparently where he from, you know what I'm saying, they take this shit very seriously. So it turned into a situation where, you know, um, not many people spoke to me in my school, bro. Mm. Not many people spoke to my school. They called me by my street name. You know, my, my, they called me Machete on the street. Wow. That's what that's what people address me as, you know what I'm saying, at, at Dell State. So it, it kind of turned into that, man, where I was more so isolated. And then I ended up meeting a couple of brothers out there that, that came to Dell State you know, from from New York, from Harlem. Mm. Um, good good brother of mine, my homeboy Jay, man. I, you know, he was one of the first guys I met out there. You know what I'm saying? That that came from the lifestyle, you know, so it kind of turned into more so a segregation thing, man. I kind of really only dealt with those that, you know what I'm saying, was were dealing with the red rags. And, yeah. And it was more so of a thing for the school. You know, not too many people really dealt with me there. So you know what I want to do too, man? You you just painted an image and, that, and I want to draw a comparison. I mean, the comparison is, is, is not exact but i think in terms of you know f- fundamentals this is very similar and that is if you think about what the the movie higher learning was right and how that painted this image of this uh this separatist um almost you know self-imposed segregation of groups based on culture and ideals on this campus right and you know that that joint higher learning by um John Singleton, right? And and a lot of people, the 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 the, the group that you had Ice Cube heading up, and you had Buster Rhymes, and you had Omar Epps would eventually become a part of that, right? People didn't really deal with them. It wasn't only because of their, their ideals that people didn't deal with them. People di- didn't deal with them because it was just almost like, well, I don't know how to. Yeah, I don't know how to. And I don't want this shit slapped out of me because I say the wrong thing. And the truth is, is that at that time, I'm not really sure what the lingo is in Delaware now. But I know I had, uh, you know, cousins that grew up in Delaware. And whenever I would see them, and this is going back to like maybe the 80s, early 90s, whenever I would see them, one of their terms that they always used was was cuz. And it was just out of a term of endearment. Right. And yeah, I mean, they yeah. could use it realistically because right. we were cousins. But. I know that's just what something that they used and not being familiar, you know, with what it actually represented and what it, how it translated in a, it, within this, uh, this, this gang culture. Then it's like, right. you know, every time I say that to him, he just, he, yo, he, he's squaring off with me. I need to leave this dude alone. Every time Absolutely. I say something, every time I, I say something to this nigga, he, he, he knocking me out. You know what I mean? So no, it, no, it makes, makes sense, man. So, 
Now, what I wanted to ask you, man, and we don't got to get into too many details because I definitely want people to be able to to go out and, and, and check out the book, uh, the first book that you put out. And then we'll get to the second one shortly. But um, what happened with the with the stabbing thing, man? I mean, that all in all, this is a, t- a teammate of mine as well. Um, I just didn't get along with this guy. Okay. Uh, I didn't get along with him from the beginning. Um, and I think that. You know, let's just put it this way. Yeah. I think his issue with me was more so out of the respect that he's seen everybody giving me. And I guess he was one of them guys that didn't want to fall in line. You know, he, he, he would make comments in the locker room. We got to, you know, we got into it twice in the locker room and just, you know, just, I get, I don't like to say the word taunting, yeah. but he taunted me quite a bit. When I say taunted me, I mean, it just, he didn't really cower like everybody. He would, yeah. he would make references and say certain things and and, and and that would piss me off so like i said we had a few run-ins but on this particular night um it was his last time doing it you know um was out you know he was out hanging out a couple of me and a couple of my guys and you know just him out walking the campus end up crossing my path and uh you know he blew a kiss to me you know what i'm saying oh, he blew a, like shit. you know being funny yeah, yeah and and yeah, that, yeah. that that one was it for me man you know so you know, I, I burned down on him man and i got the going on him so um you know i ended up turning myself in the next day for that uh, they, they gave me first degree assault for that, and uh, and I turned myself in, bailed out, you know. Then I caught the attempted murder a month later, so I, had, I was fighting both of those cases at the same time. Wow, wow! And then at that point, that school was done. At that point, what did you? It was it was over. Bro. Yeah, yeah. it was over. Wow, wow. Well, listen, man. It I, I think, but but I think that you know we can talk about the stuff that you did. But I think it's an, it's 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 absolutely wonderful what what your life has become, man, and and your and your willingness to commit to being a, a testimony for for people, so that your you know your experiences can serve as a cautionary tale uh, to them. So yeah. I wanted yeah. to so so moving forward, then since you said that this, I think we we filled in some of the some of the you know gaps in between that that period that would uh that you know moving forward now to trying to find out what that moment was in your late 20s right. when you realized it was time to 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 to, to sort of change direction or begin on that process surely that's not something uh, that bro, happens I, overnight you know no it, i just find it so amazing bro because I, I i tell people all the time i'm one of the i i just think i'm one of the most blessed fate and favorite people ever because um again i went to jail at that point um i would just answer your question in this way uh it was an eye-opener for me when i lost my opportunity at the nfl it was an eye-opener that i know why i lost that opportunity because it was my mentality you know what i'm saying i wasn't able i was not able to uh separate you know my the, my personal lifestyle versus you know what I'm saying being mature and a bigger man because in either one of those cases I didn't have I didn't have to move on that it, it was my pride and my ego that I felt was you know challenged right. and, and it was more so that reputation that I carry like I would not allow anybody to disrespect me that I, I prided myself off of that and because of that I, I let I found myself in trouble and then I, not only did I find myself in trouble I lost one of the best opportunities I could have ever had yeah. so it was an eye opener uh, when I went to jail at that point gotcha. um I was. This was in 2004, so what's this? This is 16. Is that 12 years ago? 35, 25. I was 23 years old, bro. I was I was very young at the time. I came home, um, and I still was in the streets. I was back home in Newark. I still was in the streets at this point. Um, but I had written my book while I was locked up in 2004. That's right. I came home, but then I went back to jail again. I got another gun charge in Newark. I went back to jail again, so everything was put on hold with my book came home from that and 2008 is when my book actually dropped so i'm just trying to yeah, fast yeah. forward 2008 is when my book first dropped and it started circulating around this country and it was at that point when i realized that i was on to something i was i realized that my life experience the words that i spoke the stories that i told the feedback that i was receiving from people white folk black folk older white folk older black folk gang members guys locked up in jail principals law enforcement it, that's when I realized, like, damn, you know, because at, at the beginning, I, I was just trying to write war stories, to be real with you. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, you know, I didn't think I had much to say that was of any interest to anybody. I mean, where I'm from, we always doing this shit. So it was like, what the hell can I say that's going to inspire a nigga two blocks down that's doing the same shit that I'm doing? No doubt. No so doubt. going into it, I didn't think that it was going to be what it was. But it wasn't until I got the, 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 the feedback that I realized, like, damn, you know, there's power in the written word, you know, and, and, and your testimony could be 
inspiration and motivation for someone else who's going through what you're going through. Even if they're not living the life you're going through, just your story could be a tool that they use to inspire other people or whatever, you know, uh, walk the life that they're in. So it was then that I'll say 2008 and after that when I was mindful to know that, you know, my purpose was bigger than, you know what I'm saying, a red rag. My purpose was bigger than a, a set and a block. Um, yeah. That's when that actually hit me. Uh, just to fast forward to just one more time, 2014, I just was in another major case of mine. Um, and they tried to give me a life sentence in 2014. Oh, and I talk about this in my new book. And I, I beat that case. And I would say this 2016, 2014 is when I really converted and turned my life over and actually focused my life on, on the most high. Um, so I'm a very spiritual being now. Yeah. Um, so I, that's why I had to fast forward to because it wasn't back in 2008 because I still was dipping and dabbing. I still was involved. I still was in rotation and things. 2014 is really where I surrendered all of that up. That's when, you know I me. Mean? I'm, I'm not in, I'm not shot calling, you know, the neighborhood no more. Everybody respect me. I'm the big bro. I'm the big homie, but I don't indulge in any of that criminal shit anymore. I'm not in dealing with duns anymore. I don't go to neighborhood meetings anymore. You know what I'm saying? My focus and my priorities are these babies. My wife, That's right. you know what I'm saying, and pay homage to God. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I fully submit to him. So, you know, that I give credit to 2014, that case that I beat. You know, it was almost like, damn, here I am back in this situation again. And it was that time I spent in my cell, bro. It was that time I spent on my knees and my face. And, and I felt like a lot of people turned on me. And it wasn't until I felt that comfort from speaking to, you know what I'm saying, the most high that I received in that cell. Is when you know I decided to you know what I'm saying walk this straight and narrow path. So that's where I, I've been clear of the law for the last two years. I have no probation, no parole, no courts, no judges. You know what I'm saying I've just been enjoying my life, traveling, inspiring people, writing these books, these short films that you talked about, and that's how I give back. I plant as many seeds as I possibly can through my testimony, and at the end of the day, I always get out that 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 that, that glorious man upstairs. That's what's up, man. That's what's up, and and that's what I'm talking about, man. And and you deserve everything or all of the goodness that's set to come to you man because i think you 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 know you you finally got to the point where you've realized what your purpose is in terms of what he has for you you know what i mean and what it is that he wants you to do and i think once that happens once you come to that realization because it's always been there right because if it had been, you wouldn't have written that first you know wrote your first book um you know when you were locked up the you know the early on right and then um, you know, he just continued to give you those repeated chances, and finally, you've you've tapped into it, yep. man. And I think that's to that's to be commended. So I gotta ask you this, man, because yo, know, getting a book deal, <laughs> getting a book deal with Simon and Schuster is not easy, right? So when you when <laughs> when, when, when that right. first yo, it's it's real talk, man. When the first when I tell you the story behind that, it's gonna blow your mind. But go ahead, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I want to get into, man, because. The first book, when you put that joint out, was it, were you doing it independent or were you looking for a Simon & Schuster or a publishing house? Absolutely not. I'm going to tell you the story very quickly. I tell people, um, the way I got my book deal is not the traditional way and it probably won't happen for nobody else. Mm-hmm. It's not the ideal way. I got my, I was in prison. I was uh, locked up. I was doing, 20, I was locked up for 23 and 40. So I was doing 23 hours and 40 minutes a day. Mm. Um, there was a magazine circulating through the jail called the Feds Magazine. I'm sure you're yep. familiar with the Feds Magazine. Very, very All right. So mm-hmm. at the time, there was a, a, a column written called The Human Side of Crime that was written by uh, Terry Williams. Mm-hmm. Terry Williams is a, a big publicist, PR lady. She, I mean, she's represented Puffy on down to Miles yeah. Davis. I mean, she she's just a, a publicist, a marketing guru, yeah, well-respected. She, I, I, um, also, I wrote I, the I, I'd also like to say really quick. She she actually represented me for a little bit too for a short time. Oh, so then you familiar? Yeah, so so you familiar, familiar with Terry? With Terry yeah, so you familiar with Terry Williams? Yes. Um, I wrote her. Um, I wrote her because the article was just so deep. It was so real that, you know, here it is. You got this person at this level of success, and she was kind of speaking for the streets. You know, like not necessarily condoning our crimes, but when she said the human side of crime, she was laying out the platform that the things that's laid out before us and why the recidivism rate was so high, why we continue to fall into the same trap over and over and over. And I just, it was the first time I ever heard someone and, and her light speak for us that way. So I wrote her, told her who I was just, you know, I just told her a lot about myself and the lady wrote me back. Wow. She wrote me back and she said, when you get out, you know, I told her where I was. She said, when you get out of jail, you give me a call. I got out. I gave that woman a call. By that time I had about 15 composition books front and back written up of just journal notes so there was the idea to write a book was never the plan mm. these were just 
in journals that I was writing to keep myself from going crazy in that cell. Um, she, I, brought, I took it all with me to New York. I went to go meet with her at the Shark Bar in the city. We sat down. We spoke. I gave her everything I had, bro. You know what I'm saying? She took it. A couple of days later, I'm not maybe a week later. If I'm mistaken. This is a long time. About a week later, she called me back and said, "We got to get you a book deal." So it was at that point that I felt like, damn, like so, like a book deal. I didn't even know who the hell Simon Schuster was, to be honest with you. Wow. She was already a published author at the time with Simon Schuster. She personally took me herself to Simon Schuster down in Sixth Avenue mm-hmm. in the city, right. and we met with the president, the CEO Susan Maldo. We met with the, the entire staff there at Susan Simon Schuster. They came in that office, sat down in front of me, and they said, "Tell us your story." And much like what I did with you, it was a lot more in depth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told them who I was. I told them what I'd been through, and I told them where I was, where I, where I wanted to go. And I got a book deal that day, man. That day, when I say that day, meaning that day, the, the, the idea was there. I had to go back and, you know, write, type things up. I had to present to them, you know, the first three chapters, right, right. which I did. And at that point is when I signed my book deal, man. They paid me damn near six figures for that book, bro. Damn. So that's what that really changed my life then. So, you know, no, I didn't know who Simon Schuster was. I, I give a lot of that credit to Terry Williams that she believed in me. She saw something in me at that, from that letter I wrote her, she saw something in that to make it, you know, where she wanted to meet with me. And that meeting is what sparked the meeting with Simon Schuster. So, you know, that's, that's how that, that happened. I, that's why I always tell people, it's not the traditional ideal way you get a book deal. You know, that's, that's, that's just not normally how it goes, yeah. you know? So um, I'm, I'm, I'm forever grateful to her for, you know, even seeing something in me to even give me the opportunity. Yo, it was written for you, bro. It was absolutely written for you, man. Like when you think about people's steps laid out for them, you know, per mm-hmm. per the design of the most high. You are absolutely. absolutely, man, an example of that, man. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Cause I tell mm-hmm. you, yo, I can't tell you how many <laughs> yo, how many inquiry letters I sent to agents. Right. I know how I go. <laughs> and I know how everyone I go. was coming I know how I back, just decline, decline, decline. So now, nah, but that's awesome, man, because I, I think uh, again your story is a powerful story. And if we're able to, to take real life accounts and package them in a way that um, inspires people, then that's what it's all about. I mean, it's essentially you're not doing anything different except in, in, in how you're delivering it. But fundamentally it's the same exact thing from when, you know, these people are putting out these, these uh, self-help and, and, and uh, yeah. you know, these inspirational type uh, speeches and stuff like the, you know, the Tony Robbins type shit. It's, it's the exact same thing, except it's geared towards people that come from the neighborhoods that we grew up in. And then not even our neighborhoods, people that might grow up in other neighborhoods that might not have, uh, you know, a, a bunch of resources, which most of us don't, but it's like, if he can do it, I can do it too. All it takes is hard work and for me to commit to it. And it has to be a willingness for me to commit to changing myself so that I can change the outcome of my life. So, yo, let me, let me let, let, what I want to do now, man, is, um, tell me about, um, t- tell me about the, 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 I guess the newest joint you have. And that's uh don't let my tears fool you. Um, that book is really just a part two to the first one. And, uh, the title is self-explanatory. Don't let my tears fool you. You know, you look at me, and, you know, you immediately, you know, assume, you know, perception, which, and I'm, I'm big on believing perceptions are real. Yeah. What, I, what I mean by that is that for people to say don't judge by that, I think that's bullshit. I think when we see things, we all immediately form and develop some type of perception of what that is. Absolutely. Now, 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 whether you act on that or not, that's up to you. But to say, to see a man like me walking down the block at midnight and you coming down the same block for you not to think something negative, possibly I say, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like we all form perceptions, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But that don't mean that's what it has to be. So when I say don't let my tears for you based off of what I've been through in my life, you know, a lot of people would not have known that, like you said that, you know, that, that, that I do feel that I'm, 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 I'm special or that, that I've been chosen in a way that I have the ability to inspire people in ways that others can't. So I, 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 that's why I titled that. But it was really more so my case that I, I talked about in 2014. It starts there. You know, I was on the FBI list. They, they came and when I was living in Atlanta. They kicked my damn house down and they locked me up for some shootings that took place back in East Orange in Jersey. Wow. And, you know, I was locked up in Georgia for six months. And the North came and got me, extradited me, flew me back to North to the county. And I stayed. I was in there for a month. I bailed out of there. 
and I fought my case on the street, and uh, I ended up, you know, that's the case I said I ended up beating. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was just, my, my wife actually narrates the whole book. I've been with my wife for 14 years. That's awesome. And she narrates it from the, uh, the woman behind the man, you know, what, what my life and what it's been like for her to have to, you know, be the one to deal with all that I had coming to the table. Um, and so it's, it's more so, it's very, very spiritual, bro. I would tell you, I, 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 I relate a lot of what I was going through, you know, through scripture and um, the key thing that you said for the brothers that come from where we come from. I don't think that I'm, you know, no expert. I don't think I'm no genius. I just think that I was able to connect with my gift. And uh, for me, you know, fortunately for me, I've been spared quite a bit. And I got guys that went to jail the first time and they got 20, 20 joints, yeah. you know? So I know that, that I've been given a lot of grace you know, through, through all my trial and error. So I just, I kind of talk about my transition. Remember we talked about the transition earlier. Yeah, 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 I talk about that. I highlight that. I detail the sacrifices that need to be made. If you come from where I come from, and it don't have to be a blood, just the, the street mentality. If you come from that and you're trying to aspire to be where I am now, which is not, I have a beautiful home. I have a wife. All my four babies are with her. I mean, we on vacation now. Like, this is what I wanted back then. That's right. And in order to get to that, there are steps that are going to be that's going to need to be taken, and and they're not going to be easy. It's going to hurt. You're going to be tried. Your ego, your pride, going to be tested. Your manhood, your street credibility, all that shit's going to be put on the table. And I always say, if your crave for change is not more than your your desire to, to maintain or remain who that that nigga that you was in the street, then you're not ready. Mm. You're not ready. If your crave for change, your crave to be obedient to God, if that's not if that does not outweigh your need to kind of keep your name intact, man, you know, then you're not ready. You have not gone through enough shit. You have not lost enough yet to get to this point yet. Because once you're able to say, screw all that, and I say, I'm a man still, bro, but that reputation shit don't mean nothing to me. I prove, I don't got shit to prove to nobody in them streets. I've done all that shit. So my, my obedience is to God and my family. That's right. If it, if it don't fall with that, then, you know, you can have it. That's right. And that's the level that you got to get to, I feel. That's went right. to, to make this kind of necessary change because if not then you'll be you'll be playing both sides of the fence and I'm, I'm an adamant believer that when you play both sides of the fence eventually they'll come head to head that's right they'll come head to head and i feel the streets always win because the streets have nothing to fucking lose that's right the streets have nothing to lose so they'll always win and and, and that's really the highlight of, of what that book is about man and it's, it's, it's special to me because i wrote it with no reservations i, I wrote it not keeping the hood in mind. When I wrote my first book, you know, I, 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 I like I said, I told a lot of war stories. I, I, I taught, I mean, it was a good, I think it was a good book, but I told, I kept the hood in mind. I was mindful of the stories I told. I was mindful who I talked. This book, I wrote a book, you know, directly from my heart. I wrote that book starting while I was in my cell mm -hmm. and I wrote it, you know what I'm saying? To give glory to God, man. And, and I felt a lot of, I felt, I didn't feel a pressure on me when I wrote this story, man. I felt like I'm, I'm giving something, a book to someone that somebody's grandmother can give to their grandchild. You know, this book is just special to me, man. So, you know, this this is, is near and dear to me. And um, I know that, um, you know, I put my all into this. That's right. That's right. And you know what, man, with, with everything you just said, I, I'd like to punctuate that by saying it is absolutely important for us to recognize the women in our lives, man, that have held us down. Because like you, man, we're, we're very similar in this regard. And that is I, I have a wife that I've been married to for 16 years who I also have uh, four children by. And I, and I have to be honest, man, if it, if it wasn't for her being able to continue to give me the push and, and give me the support when I needed it the most, man, there's a lot of times that I've been like, fuck it, I'm done. You know what I mean? That's right. So, so we definitely right. got to give, give shout to, to, to the Queens in our lives, man. So, I know we're winding down for time, man, and you on vacation, man, and, and I know it's almost time to start to getting up and, and, and enjoying the day with the family. But I want to talk real quick, man, about the the film stuff that okay. you're doing now, man, the, the, the miniseries right. uh, joints that you're doing. How, yes. how, how'd you come about that? Because I, I, let me tell you, I, Actually, think, I, I, I think really quick, I think it's, it's an appropriate transition, right? Because... Not that you're, you're going to be moving away from writing because you're clearly a writer and you're going to continue, you know, honing that craft and putting out some great work. But I think given this day and age and, and how technology has made itself accessible to us and how we can virtually do anything we want to and put content out there directly, you know, direct to, to, to consume or, or viewer or listener, why wouldn't we do it, man? But 
the you know the things that you're doing, man, and the ability to translate um, your stories from from written version to 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 short stories or, or short film web series is amazing, man. So I want to definitely talk about that and talk about the decision to start doing that. Um, actually, I started doing short films back in 2010. Okay. Um, I did about maybe I think about four or five I have up on my YouTube channel, mm-hmm. and then I. Uh, you know, I started getting into other things. I started getting into television shows, the, the documentaries, and then I actually did my own movie, my first movie, Death Coast, straight out of Newark, I did. Um, the short films for me is just, I, bro, I, I'm just a creative dude, man. Like like you said, I'm on vacation, but my mind's still turning on my next film. Because I, I consider myself a planner, man. Yeah, I yeah. plant seeds, bro. That's what I do. I plant seeds on that. Where I go, you know what I'm saying, I am trying to leave something behind that someone is going to benefit from. So, I try to keep my hands in all of the avenues where they're listening. That's books. Everybody don't read, so yeah. I do music. Everybody don't listen to music, so I do short films. Um, I do spoke. I do. I speak over beats. You know, I, I kind of just try to keep my hands in a little bit of everything. And the short films are really just things that I've been through or, or experiences that I know personally that that I try to deliver. Um, I'm not no Disneyland type of guy. You know, my films there's going to be some violence in it. There's going to be some some harshness in it because I I have a, a model. I believe that you can learn from seeing the next man going to jail for a million years. Mm. You can learn something from seeing a man with his head blown off on a, on a block. You know why? Because it's reality. That's right. So it's not so much that I'm promoting it, but damn it, I'm not going to shy away from the reality of what I come from and where the people behind me come from. So I edge, I teach through that. You know, I teach through, you know, the things that I've seen and damn the things that I've done. I, and, and, and you will not find those short films of mine where it's, it's promoting negativity. You know what I'm saying? If, if you think violence in my film is negativity, well, then this ain't for you. Yeah. You know, my yeah. message is for the ones that it's for. So for those who are offended by that, it doesn't mean nothing to me because then the message is not intended for you. It's intended for the, my little homeboy that's 16 stuck on his block with, with a mama as a junkie, no dad, and he's taking care of three siblings. That's right. That's right. Okay, he ain't trying to. He ain't trying to see no damn Disneyland shit. You know what I'm saying? He need to. He he he. he what's going to keep him in his in the seat for the next twenty thirty minutes watching this short film is when he see shit that he's familiar with. That's but right. in that is where I teach these youngsters. Is in that when I teach them the ways, or at least I try to give them what I think are ways to manage the life, the conditions that you have to live in right now, and still reserve it enough passion or ambition to want to eventually get away from this that's right that's what i do best that's right because you can't just tell a kid not to do something when he's stuck there every goddamn day so that's not never never my message but my message is that well we we have to survive now but while you're surviving bro here are the steps you need to take to try to get yourself away from that environment to a better one that's right and that's what i do through my short films man so you know those those are my newest thing i'm I'm, you know, I've been working on my, I got a new one coming out called Day of Reckoning. It's going to be a five-part series where it's talking about, you know, the police killings and things of that nature. I try to keep things current, you know, what's going on. And, and uh, you know, I've been working on that one hard. Um, but that's, that's, that's what I do, man. I'm sure films are very important to me, man. And they, they're helpful to a lot of people that come from my background. And I'll just say this and I'll let you take the floor again. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily saying that for the duration of my career of doing films, that they'll all be like that. You know what I'm saying? You know, I, I, I may mature into doing things a little more, you know, less violent or less graphic, you know what I'm saying? But right now, with my spirits and my, my, my passion, you know what I'm saying, my juices are flowing or, or the things that I know best. And I know violence. I know the ghetto. I know them streets. I know the mentality and, and the mind frame that we're in and we're out there. So, and I have all this experience in me. It's like I want to get it out in a way that I know best. So, you know, maybe I'll start doing some PG shit, you know, down the line. But right now, you know, I know the street shit. And, and it's been, what I give is beneficial to the people that need it. You know, That's again, right. I'm not trying to go to the suburbs and inspire them per se because they're not in the conditions that of the people I'm trying to get out. You know what I'm saying? Do, do that make sense what I'm saying? No, no, it, make, it makes perfect sense. And I think the thing yeah. is very, I think we could say very, you know, in a very succinct way, you're answering your calling, man. That's it. You're answering your calling right now to be able to deliver content to people that need it the most and that you can relate to in the most because those are the people that come from the neighborhoods that you come from. And I think we always need to be mindful about what our responsibility is and what the obligation is to help help us first before we go out trying to help other people and provide entertainment for people, particularly when there's a big issue within the communities where we come from. 
You know what I mean? We we absolutely have to take the responsibility of being a visualizer for our circumstances so that the people that are seeing what we're doing, they're able to gain a message, gain knowledge from it, and hopefully be helped in the message that we're trying to portray. So I absolutely get it, man. I, I, I completely understand. So, yo, man, I, I'm going to get ready to let you go, man. Yo. I appreciate you, man. Everything that you're doing, man, it, it, it really is an inspiration, man. And and uh, just just keep up the good work, man. And anything that we can do to support you, you know, that we can do as uh, the Chronicles of a Hip Hop Legend radio show, man. You you got our support, man. But um, tell tell the, tell the listeners where they can where they can find you at YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, or social media. Um, I mean, my social media is um, that's really you know how people connect with me uh through my my instagram which is my uh, middle name jawi mm-hmm. j-i-w-e the letter x and the number seven jawi x7 and um but as far as support i'll tell you like i tell everybody i'm the biggest support that anybody could ever do for me uh in regards to my art my craft is is is, is just to share what i do man I, i'm a, i'm a planner so it's not enough to just watch what i'm doing and like it and comment it and move on about your day take if you appreciate it, if you respect what you've seen, you know what I mean? The best thing you can do for me is to share that. That's what I always ask people to do. Share my work. And if you don't like it and you don't agree with it, then that's fine. You know, you can delete it, scrap it, and that's your business. But those that do appreciate it, you know, you finish watching something that I've done and you, you know, you, 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 you commend me for what I've done, share it, you know, to just watch it and then like it and move on. then you're actually doing me an injustice. Um, because because you've been given something that clearly you say that you appreciate, and but you're not giving it to someone else. That's so right. anything that you see that I've done that you respect, all I ever ask is that you share it, you tag people in it, and you keep my message moving forward because it only goes as far as those that's going to keep dishing it out to people behind them. That's the best thing you could do for Jawi, man. I appreciate you and everybody who's been listening. Absolutely. So listeners, yo, you, you know what it is. This is the Chronicles of a Hip Hop Legend radio show. With the good homie, Deshaun Jaiwe Morris, man. Wonderful, wonderful person, man. Uh, inspirational person. Check his life story out, man, and follow the wonderful things that he's doing, man. What The, the content that he's giving is not just intended to entertain you, but more importantly, it's intended to educate you and inspire you. So, yo, Jaiwe, again, man, we appreciate you, homie. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Yo, listeners, you know what it is. The Chronicles of a Hip-Hop Legend Radio Show, TCOHHL Radio. Hold tight, y'all. We'll be right back. Peace. It's all for you. Yeah, yo. There whenever it matters and even more when you feel like it doesn't Protect you so you never feel like you wasn't Know I'm right alongside you, here by that I'm behind you But always got you, end of discussion, nothing means more First wanna offer his shoulders for what you preach for Thought I saw the eyes of the world until I seen yours And know that I ain't see a better view yet I'm with whatever, so don't ever you fret Know that you covered, not a hurdle or a heartbreak To change what a partake Cause none of them won't ever get comfortable in your walkway My job is to aware you, fully loaded Prepare you for all of the above that I'm never letting get near you. But still, I know, give you every advantage I found. Couldn't find a better fit for them, along with my crown. And since the baton was passed, hopping down, cause feeling's not an option, and dad is not a noun, not at all. My message to any dad, man, first off, know that, yeah, it, it is a hard job, but it's the greatest job in the world. I wouldn't trade it for anything, I wouldn't change anything about it. Everything you're doing from here on out. If it didn't have purpose before, now it has purpose. It's the most important thing you'll ever do. Just be a dad.